For anyone who suffers from brain fog, my next guest may be able to shed some light because until COVID came along, not a lot was known about this condition, but we're finally learning more about exactly what it is and how to beat it. Sabina Brennan is a neuroscientist from Trinity College in Dublin and an award-winning author, and she joins us now from Ireland. Good morning, Sabina. Good morning. How are you? I'm good, thank you. I've got a lot of questions to put to you from our listeners who are experiencing brain fog. And But let's, first of all, brain fog as a, as a term, it's relatively new, isn't it? What do we used to call it? Well, yeah, brain fog really is an umbrella term that describes a collection of symptoms. And some listeners may have heard of it called other things, depending on the condition that it might be associated with. So some people may have heard of fibro fog, which is associated with fibromyalgia or chemo brain associated with chemotherapy or menopause brain or pregnancy brain or baby brain associated with hormonal fluctuations or even just a cognitive impairment. But brain fog really is, a, you know, is that a general umbrella term that uh, describes this collection of symptoms that many people um, experience. And those common symptoms um, are a loss of mental clarity. So, you know, you might say, oh, my God, I just can't think straight or an inability to focus. You might say, I really can't concentrate on anything. Also problems with learning and remembering. So, you know, you might struggle to recall what you did yesterday or even just what somebody just said. A slow thinking, so your brain might feel sluggish, right? you know, it really take you longer than it ordinarily would be to take in information, make sense of it, and then formulate a response. We call that processing speed being slowed. And then issues with language, so lots of people would be familiar with word-finding difficulties. I know myself when I've had brain fog, it's like my whole life is a game of charades, you know, trying to describe <laughs> the word that I'm looking for. But, but even more than that, you know, um, uh, a sense that your language isn't as rich or as fluid as it ordinarily would be. And then one that people are often surprised by is, you know, trouble navigating spaces, which many people would um, describe as club, clumsiness. You know, a more appropriate term would be difficulty with spatial navigation. So bumping into things, maybe slamming doors or overspilling things or, or, or even just spilling things. And then a mental fatigue, which is very different to a physical fatigue. You know, just feeling too exhausted um, to think. And I'm sure a lot of your listeners who may not have experienced brain fog will say, oh, I've had that. You know, most people will have experienced one or all of those things. But the difference with brain fog is that your symptoms are persistent. They occur regularly and they interfere with your quality of life, with your relationships and with your work, you know, with your ability to carry out your job. So it's not a one-off thing. This is something that is ongoing and, and very debilitating. Well, Sabina, old age doesn't necessarily cause brain fog. Am I right in saying that? Yeah, and, you know, uh, one of the things I, I had really wanted to make clear when I wrote my book, Beating Brain Fog, I have a whole chapter about hormonal fluctuations and how they can impact on brain function and cause brain fog is that kind of felt there's a whole cohort of women in perimenopause and menopause who are experiencing brain fog as a consequence of fluctuations in their hormones, particularly the uh, changes in estrogen, but also the impact that progesterone has on uh, disturbing their sleep 
which I'll talk a little bit more about in a moment if we have time. And they're catastrophizing, very concerned that they're getting dementia. And I, I, I think it's very, very important to point out that uh, brain fog is not a disease. It's not a disorder. It is not a diagnosis in of itself. It is a sign that something is amiss. Your brain is malfunctioning. A little bit like high blood pressure is a sign that there's something wrong with your cardiovascular system. In contrast, Dementia is a neurodegenerative disease that gets progressively worse and it is associated with, um, you know, plaques and tangles in your brain. In contrast, there are things that we can do uh, about brain fog. And um, whilst, you know, the, you know, it, one good thing that's come out of the pandemic in, in terms of it being associated with long COVID is now there's a light being shone on on brain fog and more research being done on it. It's not a new phenomenon. Um, uh, it's, it, it, we know a lot about the causes and, and factors that influence it. And I suppose now might be a good time to kind of say that because it's frequently multiple factors and, and, and people with long COVID may have other factors that are contributing to it. And then long COVID, you know, they kind of hit a threshold or menopause, you hit a threshold and it becomes debilitating. And when you understand the causes and the, the lifestyle factors that contribute to it, you then actually can learn about what you can do to minimize it. So um, brain fog, you know, is a sign or a symptom. It, uh, you know, it, it, it can be, um, excuse me, caused by an underlying health condition. And again, most of those underlying health conditions disproportionately affect females, which is possibly why it's you know, the condition has been, the brain fog has been under the radar and not a lot of research done on it. Um, and those are autoimmune diseases, autoimmune conditions like Sjogren's and lupus that disproportionately affect women. Also inflammatory diseases, chronic conditions, chronic pain, um, depression, anxiety, type 2 diabetes, and even some cancers. Um, but also um, brain fog can be the side effect of a medication. Many medications that are used to treat those conditions that I've spoken about. I've mentioned chemotherapy, but also what a lot of people may not be aware of is that any medication that acts on your central nervous system has the capacity to impact on your mental processes, impact on your cognitive functioning. So affect your memory, affect your ability to think clearly and concentrate. And they can be things that you just buy over the counter, like medications for pain, for a headache, um, for um, for antihistamines, um, anti-nausea tablets, but also medications that are prescribed for depression and anxiety. So they could be contributing. Um, I've mentioned as a result of hormonal changes, but it's not just, you know, pregnancy and menopause. It's also things like thyroid dysfunction. Uh, type 2 diabetes and then you move on then to the more lifestyle factors where the kind of are, is a lot that you can do um, to minimize and in, in fact completely eradicate your brain fog and that would be nutritional and dietary deficiencies so a vitamin B12 deficiency can impair your cognitive function so badly that it can appear like a, a dementia so badly. But don't go out, rush out and buy vitamin B12. <laughs> we're no all, we're all ready it. to rush out now, yes. <laughs> no, don't, 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 please, please, please don't do that because, um, uh, you know, go to your doctor. If you are deficient, your doctor will prescribe injections or an appropriate amount. It is not something you just go out and take. It's a form of anemia, um, a pernicious anemia, and you only need to take it if you are deficient. 
Similarly, if you are iron deficient, that can contribute to brain fog, folate deficiency or even omega-3 deficiency. So make sure you're getting enough omega-3 in your diet through oily fish. Um, so the best evidence for the best diet, don't be, I, really the, the, the research shows that taking supplements for memory performance, for brain health, etc., is really just putting a hole in your pocket unnecessarily. The best evidence for a brain-healthy diet, for a diet that will help your brain function well, is a Mediterranean diet. That's lots of healthy fruit and vegetables, oily fish, get your fat from olive oil, lots of nuts and pulses. And actually, it's a very simple diet. To eat. You can eat lots of raw you know, vegetables. You can pile a whole load of vegetables into, you know, in a salad, but you can also pile them in together um, uh, in soup. And then the other lifestyle factors that are critical for a healthy brain function and to avoid brain fog are um, adequate sleep, managing your stress well. That doesn't mean no stress. It just means, you know, optimum amounts of stress and managing that well and sufficient physical exercise and mental stimulation. I'm uh, happy to talk about why those are absolutely critical for your brain health and why a lack of them can can bring about brain fog. Uh, okay, first I'll just quickly put these questions to you from uh, some listeners. Of some of them you've answered as you've been talking, which is great, and they would have got a great deal of information from this because this question was, is ongoing brain fog symptomatic of something serious, which you talked about? I have very poor yeah. short-term memory and poor concentration. I have no ability to construct even limited sequences of imagery, i.e. walking from my front room to my garden gate. They ask, is this reversible? Yes, yes. And I mean, I will always say, if you have real concerns about your memory, all are, always err on the side of caution and speak to your doctor. But, I, you know, the, you know, the underlying kind of question there, uh, you know, is, you know, uh, you know, have I something more serious like dementia? The thing is, the symptoms of dementia would be, you know, ten, it tends to be other people will notice it before you. It would be repeating the same story over and over again. And we all do that when we go out and <laughs> have a good night, dine out on a story that, you know, we know we get a good laugh on. But this is repeating the same story within the same half hour or hour or whatever without realising it or asking the same question over and over again. Getting lost in a place that you should be familiar with or being disoriented to time and place, not knowing what day it is, not knowing what time of the day it is. And we all experienced that during the pandemic because we'd no, no way to differentiate our days. But they are the real kind of markers of something more serious like dementia. Whereas the kind of things your listener are talking about are more related to brain fog. Um, and, you know, if someone is struggling or has disrupted sleep or poor sleep, they are quite common because sleep is absolutely critical to consolidate your memory. Um, and if you're not getting enough sleep, you can't clear out a part of your brain called the hippocampus, which takes new information in every day. And so when you wake up the next morning, your brain is too full to take in information. Um, so sleep is absolutely critical and it's really important to prioritise it and, and to, to, to get regular sleep. How many hours, Sabina? 
Well, it's not even just the hours. Eight to ten hours, um, and of course, we all fall either side of that, you know, um, is what's recommended for adults between 24 and 64. But it's the quality of sleep that counts as well. Um, So, like, early in the night, we have non-REM sleep. That's when new information is taken from your hippocampus, sorted into things we can dump, and information that should be consolidated with memory. But then in the early hours of the morning, um, when we have mainly um, REM sleep, which is our dream sleep, that new information is integrated with our previous memories, our knowledge and our experience. And that's what gives rise to solutions, to problems, to ideas, um, to, uh, uh, you know, when you wake up in the morning after a good night's sleep and you've figured something out, um, that's your brain working away um, when you're asleep and, and, and kind of integrating all that new information. So it's quality as much as quantity. And one of the best ways you can improve your sleep is through exposure to light. So opening your curtains first thing in the morning, getting out in daylight for at least an hour in the day, dimming your lights in the evening from about 8 p.m. and um, ensuring that your room is really dark at nighttime, switching off those devices for at least an hour before bedtime. Don't make brushing your teeth in a bright bathroom the last thing you do before you go to bed because you're waking your brain up again. Do it an hour beforehand or whatever, and then that will also stop you eating a late-night snack. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, um, our brains, yeah, I mean, our brains have evolved over millions of years through natural light, and there's a place in your brain called the SCN that needs, um, it needs exposure to natural light to, to, to sort your your sleep rhythms and, and um, you know, modern electricity is only around for a very short period of time and it confuses our brain, as does blue light. Um, another thing is that people often don't realise is that your core body temperature must drop by at least one degree um, uh, in order for you to uh, enter the sleep state. And so often people warm up their bedrooms before they go to bed. You actually need to drop your core body temperature. So you need a cool bedroom. Um, to go into good sleep. Oh, all right. Okay. Uh, this one, you have answered half of this um, in terms of supplements. This person says, I suffer from vestibular, vestibular, sorry, vestibular migraines and peripheral dizziness. My brain is so overworked, just keeping me balanced, that it soon goes into fog mode by midday and it's too hard to think, concentrate. Any suggestions? What supplements would you recommend? I wouldn't recommend supplements. I have a my I'm a migraine sufferer myself and actually when I got covid last October my migraine went through the stratosphere. So I really and I did get that vestibular um dizziness. Um I I I I, I totally hear your listener. I ended up spending days in bed uh, frequently over the month. I certainly went back to my neurologist. So I don't know whether um uh, the person calling um, has a neurologist. I went back. He has said, and there are papers published on it, that uh, COVID has been known to be exacerbating migraine in long-term migraine uh, sufferers. Brain fog is commonly associated with migraine. Migraine frequently disrupts sleep. We also know that chronic stress um, exacerbates migraine. So again, learning to manage stress, trying to prioritize sleep. I totally get that sometimes that can be difficult with migraine. Um, 
Eating regularly is very important for those of us with migraine because, again, missing meals um, can set up an, off the nausea, that dizziness that she's talking about. Um, regularity is key when it comes to our brains. There are some times where we literally just have to lie down to it. But I certainly found um, a visit to my neurologist. He changed up my medication. I'm actually now on a waiting list. There is a new medication um, that um, is out there um, and I'm not advertising any medications. I'm not qualified to do that. This is just a, a personal recommendation that she would be best speak to her neurologist on that. But, but certainly those lifestyle factors are well known in migraine to help minimize our migraine and their thereby minimize our symptoms. But I would also suggest that there is a huge benefit to napping. But you have to be careful um, about the duration of your nap. Um, Either a maximum of 10 to 15 minutes or else 90 minutes. Any time in between that duration will make your brain fog worse and will actually make you groggy or sleep drunk. So up to 15 minutes because you won't go into deep, deep sleep and then or 90 minutes because then you will have completed a full sleep cycle and you will wake up refreshed. Um, and just take that nap. She was saying by midday um, she sort of feels exhausted, etc. So perhaps um, a little nap at that point may help. Another interesting thing, and it can sound counterproductive, is that... Um, exercise at lunchtime and often to someone with migraine or other conditions they may go oh I can't exercise providing she doesn't get exercise induced migraine but anyone else listening exercise at lunchtime is shown to improve our capacity to learn remember and concentrate in the afternoon it actually is a natural way to counteract that dip in concentration that dip in alertness that naturally occurs in the afternoon so it's a little tip um, for anyone to counter that, whether you have brain fog or not. So exercise early in the day, gentle exercise for the person with migraine could help, but also um, a nap might just help um, as well. Oh, so much we could do. So much we could talk about, Sabina. Thank you so much for just, just just scratching the surface of your wonderful brain. So thank you very much for joining us this your morning, our night. Thank you. Thank you. You're very welcome. Good evening. That's Sabina Brennan, neuroscientist from Trinity College in Dublin.